0: Hello and welcome to, once again, your favorite storytelling podcast, Tales from a Cult Insider. I am your host, your chief storyteller and happy cake, ice cream, and these days high chew eater, Jared Garrett. So as a quick backup, I was born and raised in the Process Church of the Second Coming, which was for a while one of the more infamous cults in the United Kingdom and the USA, The cult morphed over the years into Best Friends Animal Society, and I'm here to tell you all about growing up in this somewhat strange, secretive religious commune, which it is not anymore. As always, your questions will be answered, so don't hesitate to ask. Best way to ask me those questions is to contact me at jared at jaredgarrett.com with your comments, questions, and recipes for better chocolate cake. I do speaking engagements as well. They tend to be inspiring and goofy and could make you uncomfortable. Reach me at the same email to address that. And uh, if your question's excellent or it just gets me going, I will feature it here on the podcast. Uh, today, let's talk about being a kid with some a bunch of other kids and how I dealt with it, especially when I was feeling uncomfortable. Okay. So in past episodes, we've talked about uh, the setting of the cult and a bit of moving around um, and most recently about how libraries and books really did save my life. I don't believe that that is hyperbole of any kind. I, I believe that reading books saved my life. Um, it, it, I'm, I don't have any diagnosed depression um, or anything of the sort, which is uh, certainly lucky uh, bullet dodged. I, I have dear friends who are, have mental illness and I admire them and respect them uh, for their strength and, and, and their ability to, to, to get through the days and the weeks and the months and the years and be hopeful and be as amazing as they are and productive and also also to be open with me about what they're struggling with. It helps. And what, what that's taught me is that I've got probably some undiagnosed depression, not a lot. When I was younger, more, Uh, Due to the um, terrible circumstances at times. It wasn't always terrible, but it was often terrible. And um, uh, let me give you a couple of situations which were terrible. Terrible being like not knowing who I could trust, even amongst the kids or the adults. Not having somebody that would give me comfort um, or love. I, I could go a year or more. I probably did go several years as a young child without even a hug, um, without kind words, even, um, that's not helpful to the development of a child and, uh, feeling like I was an enemy to all the adults and other and, and the authority figures essentially that I was surrounded by that, um, that can leave a person in a bad state, uh, and feeling kind of hopeless. Um, and so I know that I had thoughts that I am glad I never acted on as a youth. And stories brought me to an awareness of the world. Uh, It it lifted my spirits. They gave me a sense of right and wrong. They uh, showed me that good can beat great evil. um, And that broken families can be healed or that you can transcend and heal from a broken family. Among many, many other things. And so I am grateful for books. I'm extremely grateful for libraries, especially Oak Hills Library, the branch nearest to me in Dallas when we were there for those seven years. Uh, Just, 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 uh, I can't say enough. But today, the episode is called Liar Liar Lips on Fire. And that is because that was one of my chief coping strategies when I was younger, dealing with the situations that I had to deal with. I always felt awkward. I felt uh, I was always questioning where I stood uh, with the people around me, the kids and the adults. I questioned if I belonged. I questioned if they wondered why I was even there, if if, if they felt like I was an outsider always, even though I grow, was growing up with those kids. I always felt like maybe I didn't belong with them. Um, and that gave me I mean, introverts unite, right? We know We know what that feels like. But that gave me um, a lot of awkward feelings. And, and I would deal with that awkwardness by making it worse, guys. Just like anybody else, you know. Um, I just would make it worse. And so um, one of the things that I would do would be to lie. Uh, and if not lie, say something silly or stupid or do something silly or stupid or inflammatory. And when called on that, uh, dig in my heels. Which, again, is not going to be all that unfamiliar, especially for therapists who've dealt with uh, young kids or people who've grown up in difficult, awkward uh, situations or constantly changing situations, especially those kids who score high on the ACEs uh, test, which is a, it's a, it's a test of of childhood kind of traumatic experiences. Um, I score eight on that, by the way, most of the time. Sometimes I score a seven when I'm I think when I'm feeling a little more healed. I feel healed. I'm in good shape, guys. I have I have an extraordinary family. I I am blessed beyond all imagination. But I would lie. Um and it would often start small. So for one thing, when I was finally torn away from um public school to go to the private school that the foundation, um let me rewind. I was torn out of fifth grade after being in the same school for the first time in my memory for more than one school year. I I attended Vanderhoof Elementary in, I think, Arvada, Colorado. I say Colorado, not Colorado, because I was raised by British people, and that's how we say it, yo. So, wow, that was terrible and awkward. Um, Went to Vanderhoof for fourth grade, and I was telling people by the end of fourth grade I was sure I'd be gone by, by fifth grade. showed up in fifth grade, and I was still there. And my friends were there, and they welcomed me warmly and lovingly. And boy, I felt, I felt like a normal kid for the first time in, all, in my whole life. And so I was torn from it and uh, moved to Dallas after one month of fifth grade, which you can imagine is traumatic, um, although many kids do go through it. It's still traumatic, and there's grief, and it's, there's loss, and there was anger for me. And we're going to talk about that in a few episodes. But um, when I arrived in Dallas... I was greeted by Asta, who uh, I grew up with. I, I was going to rewind. I called it the foundation. That's because um, the, the cult when it started was called the Process Church of the Second Coming. But after a schism between the two people who started it, Marianne and Robert, um, Marianne stuck with it and made the foundation faith of God out of the process church. And so it became a different thing, a uh, different doctrine, different practice, and a different name with some very fancy logos and stuff. Um... Uh, which you can see on the podcast um, kind of cover image. So I arrived in Dallas, um, having been torn out of school to to go to the foundation's private school, which was called Faith School, unsurprisingly, uh, not imaginative. I was first month of fifth grade, so that was September, Um, and at that point I was 10 or 11, uh, not quite 11 probably, and um, was greeted by Asta. And I was a little small and kind of round and not very comfortable. And I knew these people, but I hadn't seen them in a while. I'd been in Denver for a while. And the first thing I did, upon being greeted by this person who should I should have just seen as a comfortable, trustworthy uh, colleague, ally, peer, all of those things, especially given her warm greeting, I should have seen her as a friend and I should have said, hi, thanks for being here. I th- hey, I'm glad I'm here. Or hi anything, you know, instead of any of that, I put my hand up very stiffly in this weird greeting and said, how? That's right. I said, how? As if I were some Native American from a Western, because that's probably not even how they talk. Um, She was taken aback. And she's like, how? And I said, yeah, that's how the uh, Indians talked, because that's what we said back then before we knew better. Um, And she said, are you okay? And I said, yeah. And I started spouting these weird, random arcana facts, which were not true, almost entirely, 100% not true to her about Indians and said, yeah, I study them. I'm, I'm interested in them and stuff. And then had to perpetuate that stupid, useless lie for a while before I just let it fade. Um, yeah. So my, when I would let it fade, in order to let the lie fade, I would basically have to gaslight people and say, no, I never said that. And obviously they were onto me the whole time, but here I was a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old kid, um, lying pointlessly telling the most ridiculous stories. And then when I either felt like I couldn't support it anymore or was being called on it, I would just like say, no, I never said that and just be convinced and try to convince completely that I never did. And do what my version of gaslighting, and then um, the, uh, probably the kids were like, "This guy's a complete idiot. What's wrong with this kid?" So um, that that's that's pretty dumb. In any case, so that's um, I was a liar. Let me give you some fun story examples of my lying. Upon my arrival in uh, Dallas after my Denver sojourn, I shared a room with some twins um, <laughs> named. Their f- first names were A and B. Essentially, um, great, great young men. I, gosh, I, I, they, they were the my safe space for many years. Not then, but uh, for many years, they, those two were the ones I got along with the best. We had shared interests the most. We we're all interested. All three of us are interested in martial arts, military, um, in defying and being angry at the foundation, and lots of other things. And we would stay up late watching a movie up uh, in, in a secret space in the attic. So these guys were great, uh, but they, so they welcomed me into their room, um, which was nice to them because they didn't need to be so welcoming. I was taking up their space and they were brothers. Uh, and I thanked them essentially by telling the most ridiculous, outrageous, true, not, not true stories about me. Again, I'm young. I'm not, I'm not even a teenager. I'm more close to a teenager, really. And the first big lengthy story that I had to dig, dig in and dig in and get even more outrageous as it went was a story about me and Maria who didn't exist. I, I told them a story that I had, when I had lived in Dallas before that, because I had been in Dallas before in that branch that I was going to, um, Davy Crockett elementary, which I'm not even sure it's still there. And, uh, I was in first or second grade, probably second grade, And um, I I swore up and down that Maria and I had been boyfriend and girlfriend. And not only that, despite our youth, boy, we were hot and heavy. We would kiss all the time. Um, That I charmed her uh, so much when I sat next to her in some, like, keyboarding class or something like that, that she just fell for me and I fell for her and she was pretty and stuff. And I described her in terms that I was reading in the books I was reading, which most of them were fine, but some of them might have been inappropriate. I told them that we had kissed more than once, several times, and that the longest kiss we ever did was 14 seconds. I'd counted in my head during it. And the twins, they um, responded by take, turning that into a chant. Um, they said, the 14-second kiss, the 14-second kiss. Hi-ho, the dare you, the 14-second kiss. Yeah, it's really stupid, isn't it? Um, but that is that, that story just expanded and expanded as uh, they told others, which was not okay of them. But, I mean, why not when you know the guy's telling, telling a lie from the start? And so I had to tell other people, yeah, of course is true. Maria's real. Um, and I don't know that I ever fessed up. Of course they knew all along it was just a bunch of lies, right? But I don't know if I ever fessed up. That such was my pride that I couldn't be seen as being false or that I couldn't be seen as being... Um, Uh, I don't know a liar you know it was really stupid so that was that was me I would tell these stories I and I would dig into them I would I would often tell stories pointlessly so like somebody would ask me if I knew why something had happened or who had done what and um, there was no reason for me to not just fess up yeah it was me um, because there was no harm harm done in these situations but I would just obfuscate the truth Um, that's your $10 word for the day obfuscate which means to hide and, um, why on earth would I do that? I still have no idea why I would do it. Maybe a protective, um, I don't know, knee-jerk reaction, some sort of protective instinct. I'm not sure. Uh, I know that my most common body language today, uh, because I study this now really is a, it's a, it's a hiding, um, gesture, which a lot of people have. Um, if I'm lying in a dentist chair, I'm, my legs are crossed. My hands are on my chest crossed, um. I, I say it's comfortable, but it's not a comfortable position. It's, it's a safer position for me. So maybe it was a protective um, instinct uh, to hide my truth, to hide my, who, who I truly was. And I certainly felt like I needed to do that. And let's talk a bit about that, hiding how there's active lying and then there's passive lying that I had to do and that probably many of us do in our lives. I, had to, I felt like I always had to hide my true self in that cult which added to my awkwardness and my feelings of not sure I belonged. Um, I I was a deeply feeling kid. Um, I'd been embarrassed uh, to the age of 10 or 11 even um, by how easily I would cry about things. I I would cry uh, when accused of something that wasn't real. Um, if If it was real, I would definitely not cry because I was too busy really trying to lie effectively to get out of things. But I would, I really would break down and I'd I'd get broken up over books and I'd get um, really concerned about um, how people were seeing me because I was crying. So that is concerning, right? I mean, the fact that I had, I felt like I always had to hide my true self and I, I don't know how common that is. I don't know. I'm not in other people's heads, but I bet it's there where we just feel like we don't trust anybody to show who we really are. But I spent my whole childhood not having anybody I would share that with, not being willing to share that with anybody, even though maybe some of those kids um, I could have shared things with. I hid everything. I hid how strongly I felt about um, the injustice I was seeing in the foundation and the cult. I hid the anger that I was feeling. I mean, how deep and furious the anger that I was feeling was, how burning and how it just had set in my gut and just kept me burning all the time. Um, I would hide how sad it made me when somebody would be mean, not just to me, but to others, uh, mean-spirited, angry at me for no good reason. I would hide being h- how hurt it hurt I was to, to be bullied, to be teased. Um, it just felt like it was inconsiderate, and I was being dismissed, and my worth was being taken away. And it was really. And I felt a long, for a long time, there must be something wrong with me because I was so, I, w- I had so many feelings and other people didn't seem to have those feelings. Um, and so that was a a lie of um, just omission. Uh, not to not to convince people that the stories I was telling was true, but to convince people that I was normal and like them. Um, only late, much later in life did I finally accept it. My normal is my normal. It doesn't matter if it's typical of the world or others, but my normal is me and I need to accept it and learn to love it. Um, Luckily, I also have been able to slowly, bit by bit, um, sometimes in leaps and strides, um, totally reveal who I am to my wife. Anne-Marie is wonderful. She takes me at my best and worst. So she's great. Um, Anyway, so that's... um, That's liar, liar, pants on fire, uh, lied a lot, um, hid myself, hid my truth, hid, hid everything that I possibly could all the time and and never felt comfortable. And I'm certain that, that, that I never felt comfortable in large part because I was just hiding so much so often, uh, via lie, active and passive lies. However, I'd like to finish today, which we can do in under 30 minutes with a fun story. (laughs) um, in which I lied, and it was a good thing. So by the time I was 16, um, the foundation was doing well financially. They'd gone through some dark times financially. uh, But the Dallas branch was um, the financial, which is where Faith School was. It was also the financial center. It's where very effective funders, people who'd go out and and beg for money at like airports and in busy busy places, um, that's where those effective fundraisers were. And so, um, yeah, they called them funders. It's funny. And so Dallas was was well-established, and Dallas somehow got permission to move from the crappy old houses we lived in, although the one I lived in was kind of cool and quirky, to newer houses in the suburbs in northern Dallas, in Richardson, essentially. Um, I'll talk in the next um, podcast about focus class, and it'll be a nice short episode, which should be fun and juicy. Focus class was a class that we had at the beginning of every day, uh, at faith school. And it was a class in which we did exercises that were a little odd. Uh, and many of them, they were about us learning to control the situation and the interactions that we had. But what they also did was they helped us become effective liars. Now, when I was 14, I decided that I was done lying. Now, I turned out that I wasn't entirely done, but I got a lot better. And I was done with lots of things about my temper and um, feeling like life and the world around me was out of my control, so I started studying meditation, and became a bit of a Buddhist because I studied a book on Buddhism, and got my my emotions really well under control after a year or so of heavy duty meditation, uh, and self awareness and self study, and so. When we were in Richardson, we started really stretching our wings, which was not a thing they wanted us to do. Those adults they. We were still supposed to be well under control. The girls lived in one house. The boys lived in another house about a mile away, not even a mile away, half a mile away at most actually. And uh, we, I lied again. I didn't lie. I made a mistake and I, I fixed it. So uh, one time I was off talking to some friends I'd made at a movie theater nearby and um, got a phone call that I, that I was being searched for because I was supposed to have gone home from the girls' and adults' house to the boys' house. Um, but I had gone down to the movie theater instead. movie theater was called The Promenade. And so I freaked out and took off on my bike. And as I was going towards the house, far away from the theater at that point, um, I noticed a van pull into the road behind me about 200 feet back. I was certain that that van was a van owned by that branch, the Dallas branch. It looked exactly like, at least from the headlights and stuff, it was it was dark that it had to be it. So I was sure Jason, the British, the angry, temperamental, very temperamental British man, who was also an extraordinary artist and who taught us and gave us some great art experiences. was I was sure Jason was in that van ready to light me up if he found me. So I instantly had a perfect lie come to me all at once, one whole piece out of whole cloth. And the lie was that I would be I would say that I had just lost track of time. I'd been riding around on my bike, lost in thought and lost track of time. And that was that. So I pulled into uh, the house where all the boys lived, uh, the driveway, got off my bike and casually started walking naturally. No tension, no fury, no anger, no fear, nothing. Just as if nothing was out of the ordinary. And the van comes crunching to a halt behind me. Jason leaps out and slams the door and says, Jared, where have you been? And I say, uh, what? And he says, where have you been? You, we've been looking for you for an hour. And I'm, I just, I very convincingly was taken aback and said, an hour. I'm, oh no, I'm so sorry. Oh my goodness. I hadn't realized I'm so sorry. I, and I just, I didn't say I'm so sorry, afraid of getting punished. I just said, sorry, as if I was speaking to a person, my age and my level, uh, I, and, and very contrite, very contrite and humble. I had no idea that I'd, I'd been out so long. I just, I got on my bike and I kind of got lost in thought and wanted to, was thinking about things and I didn't realize, I'm so sorry I was out so long and he totally bought it. Jason bought my giant, instant, well-delivered lie. Um, why? Because I knew him. I knew what he wanted. I, he wanted to control the situation. And so I gave him, in his mind, control of the situation. I was humbled because of his fury and his power. But what did I really do? I used that lie to take total control of that encounter. I owned that encounter because of that useful lie. So it was a positive, right? Well, I got out of trouble. And I certainly learned that if I lied effectively, I could control situations and stay out of trouble and convince people of things and probably get them to do things they shouldn't, that they they didn't want to do or wouldn't prefer to do. So no, that was a, some bad thing. Although I, I'm glad I didn't get in trouble. It would have been terrible. Probably would have tried to beat me up or something. Uh, that happened before. I'm not, in, not interested in talking about it right now. Um, so I learned a bad lesson from that situation, from my lie. Uh, but I continued that a little bit. Sometimes I would lie more to keep control of situations or to cover other kids. So this whole episode's been on lying and how, yeah, it served me well, but ultimately it didn't serve my soul well. And I came out of that cult still a little sick of some of the lies that I would tell and how easily they came to my lips and how ridiculously effective I was at it. I can still feel that muscle in me, the ability to give somebody what they want, or at least give them the, in my in their mind, they're getting what they want. And what what I'm actually doing, though, is just giving them the appearance of what they want because I have something else happening under the surface that they can't see. And I am running that particular situation and I'm getting what I want out of it. Um, I can still feel that muscle in me. Uh, I can feel how developed it still is, even though I don't use it really, ever. Um, Every so often, I got to be i got to frame something carefully, but it's not a, it's not an untruth. It's not a lie. It's just me carefully saying something so that it comes off right. You know, that's just framing things, but that muscle's still there. And I, 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 I don't use it, which is good. And I don't think that I need to try to get rid of that muscle. Cause that would be, I don't even know if that's even possible, Uh, Maybe it helps my acting, my voice acting even. I don't know. Maybe this whole thing has been a lie. And I didn't grow up in a cult. Instead, I grew up in suburban Illinois, Chicago or something, and had a family. I didn't have any of that. This has not been a lie. In any case, I don't encourage the lying. I really don't. Even if it helps you get through the cult situation, it it, it did a thing to me that uh, took me a long time to get rid of. It took me a long time to get rid of the habitual reaction of control the situation by saying a lie. Um, I shouldn't do that. Nobody should do that. And that's one of the legacies that the cult left me and that I left me because I allowed myself to do it. Um, so there's that. That's today's episode. It's about lying. Uh, I t- mentioned a thing called focus class. Next next episode, episode five, we'll talk about focus class, what I think I understand its origins were, uh one of the some of the things that we did in them and how they helped me become a better actor. For now, um we've got uh, let's look about a couple of minutes before our half an hour is up. So I just want to remind you you can ask me any questions if you're listening to this, please do feel free to ask me questions. Uh email Jared that's J-A-R-E-D at JaredGarrett.com J-A-R-E-D, G-A-R-R-E-T-T dot You can Google me. I'm the whole first page of results usually. You can find my books online on Amazon. If you want to know more things, specific things about the cult life, feel free to let me know. I'm not here to do an expose on this thing or to damage best friends. They're doing noble things there. But I will tell you that um, my life is real. This is my true story. And guess what? The reason there weren't any episodes over the last couple of months is because I wrote my whole memoir last month. It's about 300 pages, but... About 80,000, just over 80,000 words, and I am really proud of it. I'm going to revise it um, after November, and I'll be querying it soon after that. Querying it means trying to find an agent to help me get it published. Uh, in the meantime, I have a novel to write, and I have uh, work to do in my day job, and wonderful kids to take care of. Um, this is Jared Garrett, your chief storyteller for Tales from a Ins- Insider. Insider signing off for the night. I'm going to have an Oreo and then I'm going to go to sleep after brushing my teeth. Guys, brush your teeth, stay thirsty, stay hungry. And if you have any cool recipes for like good pasta dishes, let me know. Cause I'm running out, man. Take care folks.